0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, schools, cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we sit down with Shirley Chung, who talks about her long and delicious journey from China to Top Chef to Culver City, where she opened up Miss Chi Cafe, which is her take on Chinese food. And we also pull from the archives for one of our favorite performances from one of our favorite New Yorkers, Annie Hart. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk
4: about food. We talk about music. With music. Dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tune.
3: Welcome to Snacky Tunes, I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are with Shirley Chung, chef-owner of Mischique Cafe in Culver City, and the author of Chinese Heritage Cooking from My American Kitchen. Welcome to Snacky Tunes.
5: Hi! Thank you for having me.
3: Thank you for having me. Um, originally born and raised in Beijing, Yep. Uh, I saw your, it wasn't like a TED talk, but it was sort of like a TED talk. and. I don't want to get too distracted by it, but your story of your grandfather and his like, coming and going from America is like straight out of the movie. Yes. Um, can you <laughs> give a little background of your of your grandparents and your grandmother, because your grandmother was a huge influence on your food as well. Just like a quick overview yeah. of, your, of your upbringing, because you'll do it better than I do, but it blew me away.
5: <laughs> so uh, I'm, I was born and raised in Beijing, China. I came to America when I was 17. But... Chang family is actually five generation of Chinese American in Los Angeles. Sure, no. um, we said uh, well, majority of my relatives are in Pasadena, um, but my grandfather at the age of 17, he was born and raised in California, but his father um, came to America first generation 1900 as a doctor herbalist from China to serve the uh, railroad workers. It's um, part of Gold rush. Uh, my grandfather was born here, but then he got sent back to China to study at age of seventeen to study medicine. That's where he met my grandmother, who was um, the, I guess, China's um, most famous reformist, uh, educationer, scholar. He has a lot of titles. That's no big my great grandfather, no Liang Qichao, and then she's his fifth daughter. Um, she's also a reformist on, in her own. So she led a student revolution in Beijing. Uh, (laughs) against uh, by then republic government as well as uh, Japanese uh, military so she was wounded by the old government and that's how she met my grandfather during uh, the revolution just
3: a couple of revolutionaries being outlaws so
5: they became Macaulay they supported each other they believed in something bigger Um, but because they were wounded so they traveled through China and then finally in 1941 escaped China came to uh, America my grandmother finished her education USC history major when my grandfather finished his medical uh, uh, degree and he ended up having his externship or his residency in Harvard University and later on he practiced in New York. He has his own clinic, pediatrician, when my grandmother worked for Chicago Library. Um, and yeah, they're slightly separated and then my father was born in New York, but 1949 rolled around uh, the new China, Communist China form yep. and then my grandmother being who she is wants to go back to support her country so she moved the whole entire family from new york back to china 1949 started brand new life in china uh, they have 10 years of great life she became the foreign ambassador for china red cross while my grandfather became a, a dean of a hospital later on he became the assistant director of who world health organization he was the first Chinese representative to have that position, but also because he's Chinese American, so he speaks fluent Chinese but fluent American English as Amazing. well. Um, but then ten year cultural revolution in China happened. So my grandfather got thrown in jail and my grandmother during that ten year tried to break him out. Uh, they were accused well, him of sorry, literally break him out? Well within connections. Sure. Uh, to try to bring him out because he was, he had, uh, he still have U.S. passport, so Chinese government back then accused him of being a spy. Um, he was in jail for uh, eight years and then went back to Geneva. Um, he served his term of three years as assistant director and when his term came up, he made a decision. Instead of going back to China, that was 1975, 10-year um, cultural revolution still going. It was towards the end, but he was really worried for his future. He didn't want to get captured again. So he, uh, in his pajama, he went to knock on the door in Geneva, uh, U.S. Embassy. And uh, 24 hours later, he was on a plane um, flying back to California. My grandmother didn't know. My father didn't know. My mom just married my my dad. Nobody knew from the family. So our family was under investigation for three years. When they were in China, nobody's allowed to talk about gran- grandpa. So when I was born in the late '70s, and we thought my grandfather, everybody told me my grandfather dead. And later on, Tiananmen Square re- student revolution happened again. Is in our blood. My father vocally, openly supported the student's vision. Well, he was actually held very high position in technology sector for Chinese government. So he got kicked out of the Communist Party because after the Tiananmen massacre. And, uh, so, uh, and then my grandmother also passed away around the same time. So my dad made a decision uh, in 1989 after Tiananmen Square incidents that he told me, we're moving to America. By the way, your grandfather is still alive, he's living well in Sonoma, he still practiced medicine for a little bit in Sonoma, and now he's retired and we're going to meet up with him and then uh, to enjoy, so he can enjoy our family for the rest of his life.
3: So how does that very typical normal childhood uh, uh, influence you and who you grew up to be?
5: So I definitely think because my family is a very different, we, we're in Beijing, we in the heart of Beijing, there's so much tradition, food culture, but at the same time, my family is kind of like a Western family. Yeah. My gra- they all educated uh, in America, moved back. I Growing up, my typical breakfast is not congee or Chinese donuts. Mine is toast, coffee, milk. We eat butter, we had hot dogs growing up and my grandmother travel around the world and then she believing to educate me little me through food about the world culture
3: so how would she educate you she'd be like "Uh, this is chocolate so you should know the Swiss and they're about neutrality
5: yeah and then she would bring back coca-cola and go this is coca-cola for America in the 1920s we used to have it in China but then you know after the war and now we've, we're going to bring this back and then she will tell me about cheese uh where it's made of so like as a little kid you will, like I will ask for can I have stinky stinky feet she'll be like stinky feet oh you're talking about cheese <laughs> I will also my favorite food spaghetti mm. uh, I love chocolate and I love ice cream and then she taught me how to we watched sound of music growing up and she also taught me how to sing ABC. And then she always asked me to ask her my favorite food in English. So she will bring it back from her, uh, from her traveling. If I don't ask her in English, she wouldn't bring it back to me.
3: I mean, that's... the uh, Food diplomacy takes on a whole different sort yeah. of meaning in your family. But did you feel conflicted? Did you feel that Chinese food was less than or equal to? Or did you not see... A comparison between the food that was all around you in Beijing and the sort of the wonders of the world that your grandmother was bringing
5: you? No, not at all, because she also brings me to national banquets. Mm. So I get to, so I guess this is sort of like in my spirit, I'm always fearless because I rough shoulder was governor at such a young age and eating. Abalone. I, like, I was never sh- ashamed of when it comes to Chinese banquet, there's last piece of albalone. I'll be like, Grandma, let me get that last piece of albalone.
3: Just reaching in with those chopsticks. Yeah, just time.
5: reaching in. As a little kid, I didn't really care. Like, the manner just fly off the, you know, off my head because I love food. So I, as a young kid, I was experiencing different textures and then seeing Western wonders, but at the same time, see a lot of traditional Chinese dishes and then the the imperial uh, uh, banquet style vegetable carving. So I would mm. just so impressed with full world period that I'm just, I wanted to eat, I want to make things on myself and like for things that I don't get to have in home normally, but if I ate somewhere outside and I will try to come back at age eight, try to recreate them, even though I have no clue how to recreate them, (laughs) but I wanted
3: to recreate them. So you wind up in America in the late 80s, early 90s, and what was it like to move from China and wind up in the States?
5: So I came to the 1993. Yeah, it was a big shock, obviously, because even though we studied English, I spoke a little bit, but it's the culture shock is very different. <laughs> it's funny because I came from a big city. Yeah. I remember arriving in San Francisco, and I look around. There's you know the airport, and then yep. we live in the subor- uh, suburb of the Bay Area. Um, so all the houses low profile because of earthquake. So I was. T- Asking my dad, I was like, Dad, why you bring me to village? (laughs) (laughs) Like, didn't understand the suburbia of America, the concept. And uh, um, very culture shock. But fortunately, uh, where we moved to, there's a lot of uh, Chinese immigrant and Taiwanese immigrant uh, already. So I made some friends immediately. Um, But uh, in the beginning, it was... It's difficult because I'm very outgoing, so not be able to speak the way I want to, communicate the way I want to was hard, but it only took me a year. And
3: how did you find the food in America now that you were living here? Did Chinese food take a back seat or did you still eat the same way where everything was fair game?
5: Um, because my parents started their own company so they were really busy in the Silicon Valley and then uh, I took on cooking because this is what I always love. my mom was a doctor uh, when she was in Beijing so she never was really the cooking person anyways so I always cook food for myself growing up because that's what I love uh, when I came to America I started doing that but realized that um, everything all the ingredients are very different like what yeah. I see in China is very different and so watching food TV, PBS, and just cooking show really help because I want to learn. First of all, I need to learn English. Second of all, I also just want to know what to do with all this new food. I also wander around in the supermarket by myself to read labels and look at what other people buy. I just find food very interesting, but at the same time, I was picking up English and learning English through food. What
3: was the biggest difference between shopping for food in Beijing versus you now being in San Francisco?
5: So back then and now Beijing is super modern, just like America. But when I was still in Beijing, you still rely on the um, the smaller, like kind of like a wet market or so open market. Mm-hmm. Uh, food you go into in the morning to buy fresh fish, fresh vegetables, and a lot of more bodega style or smaller store in the neighborhood. Where coming to America, everything is so big. I just remember I was like, why is everything bigger? Banana, celery, apple, everything. All the fruits are just shiny. so big and shiny and beautiful yeah. and wax. And I was like very intrigued. In California, the seasons are so different. You see strawberries side by side with apple. Like that's, you don't see but then in China, China was, Beijing is very seasonal, all four seasons food. Uh, we like to, our diet is very seasonal. So I can't kind of wrap my head around when I see summer, summer food next to winter food together. But then later on, I realized this is California. This is what we do. We have tomatoes in December.
3: Yes, we do have tomatoes. And they're,
5: they're great. They're, they're they're great
3: so your parents are working in technology. You sort of have this inkling for cooking. When do you start to think about maybe this is a career? Were your parents into that? How did you start moving into cooking in professional kitchens?
5: So I went through the whole normal thing. After high school, I did college, and then my dad wanted me to, well, I wanted to do pre-med. I love blood and cutting things. And, there you go. But um, uh, I'm horrible at chemistry, so <laughs> passed, failed twice, and then finally my dad said, just take business so we can take over the family business. I was like, okay, fine. Okay. So I worked in the Silicon Valley for five five years um, and later on I met my current husband we were dating and then later on we were seriously dating um, uh, I was facing the dot com bubble bust mm. and my company was going down and then my uh, boyfriend or husband was doing really well in his company he startup. up so he said that why don't you pursue your dreams like, why don't you mm. think about what you want to do real like what's your passion Bury about marry that
3: man yeah <laughs> and he's
5: like, I'm sick of uh, you complaining about your high tech job. You know, like he yeah. said, I'm also feel like you're wasting your life away because you all you do is buy new shoes and buy new cars. <laughs> that was me. May, I made a lot of money in Silicon Valley, so I was like, okay. I was like, I love to cook, but as a Chinese American, my parents will never let me mm. to think about cooking as a career. So I never thought about cooking as a career. Right. It's always a hobby. So he's like, go check out culinary school. So what, it's a hobby, but you should really take some time off and think about what you wanted to do. Um, do something you love. I was like, okay. So I went to check out. By the out, way,
3: that's that American dream right there. Like, oh, you know what? Forget about what your parents want. What do you want to do? What do you love?
5: Yeah, but you never think about it until I'm actually experienced it. So then I went to uh, CCA, which it doesn't exist anymore, California Culinary yeah. Academy. Um, did a school tour the first half hour, just the smell of the bakery and then hearing people their chopping sound and checking out the butcher room mm. and then seeing them breaking down all those hot, whole animals, I was in love. I was like, I think this is what I want to do. And after that, I just never looked back. I was model students and then wanting to be extern for uh, Thomas Keller and never stopped.
3: Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about your professional career. We're going to talk about opening your your restaurants. Uh, We have a musical song from the archives here on Snaggy Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Chef Shirley Chung in her beautiful and delicious restaurant, Miss Chi, in Culver City. So, you've graduated culinary school. Yep. Uh, how did you get your first externship and how did you get to work under some of the greats like Thomas Keller and Guy Savoy?
5: So I went to um, From uh, my school was located in San Francisco, and I tried to get into by then the world's best restaurant was French Laundry So I tried to get into my externship into French Laundry sent multiple letters recommendation letter Nobody really care, and I so I finally decided I need to go there So I drove to French Laundry uh, Young Bell. Uh, from San Francisco, after school every day for three weeks or so, just to see if I can talk to go talk to anybody.
3: Did you do that thing like Buddhist monk where you just like sit outside and just wait?
5: Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I was, or <laughs> I see people like walking out and I try to talk to them. No cooks ever talk to you, and um, the office system like kind of show me the way, give me a application form that I filled it out, but nobody called me back. Yeah. And I finally like had the guts knock on the window and then my AM sous chef of French Laundry, Mark Hopper, came out and uh He's, uh, he, he became a mentor later on, but he became my first chef. He's like, wow, I saw your face for three weeks already. I think you, I, I you guess you it. really want to be you here. You really want to be here. So that's how I got into the door.
3: <laughs> and what was it like working in such a classically French uh, restaurant? Um, what did you learn there?
5: I, like, the first thing is organization. I think mm. it's the most important, fundamental uh, young cooks can have, uh, working clean. Um, my first duty was Every morning, get into the door is to clean walking and make sure you realize all the fish and how to properly put everything away. Everybody always think stocking is nothing. This is not related to cooking. No, it's 100% related Mm. to cooking. How you treat your vegetable, your protein, everything properly, how to storage them properly, will set the foundation for a great restaurant.
3: So where was Chinese food sitting inside your brain or in your heart at this time? After going through culinary school and working at the French Laundry, did it have any real appreciation from you? Did you ever consider cooking it, or was it just something that you would make at home?
5: So yes, Chinese food is only always something that I will only make at home because, to tell you the truth, I'm a little bit not embarrassed, but when it comes to Chinese cuisine, I know so much because there's eight different regions, and I know it's such an art. But I never really went in there. But also, it's kind of like that thinking. That when you think about a traditional Chinese cook, they're like wife beaters, they have a cigarette, they work walk, it's very hard work, it's yeah. a really rough image. Versus when I first came into the culinary world, my first restaurant was French laundry and you look at everybody, like their chef coat never get dirty. Never. Never. The floor is so clean that we use toothbrush to clean them that you can't eat food off the floor.
3: And there's so how many cigarettes in the
5: kitchen? Yeah. What? There's no sm- smoking break allowed. Right. So it's like the prestige of French cuisine. Really, for me as a young cook, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be the fancy chef. I don't want to be the Chinese chef that kind of like work dirty and just grind it out. That's not what I wanted. So for me, I actually refused to cook Chinese professionally or do anything Chinese for the longest time. And I always joke about it that Chinese cuisine is my uh, my my weakest uh, cuisine because I never really learned. It's, right. it's not until Chino Poblano, which is working for Jose Andres, that's the last time that I worked for somebody. He's the one that put me in that position, even though I wasn't I kind of tried to say no in the beginning. Right. I didn't want to be the head chef of Chino Poblano. We had a head chef. He wasn't working out. I was only a sous chef. Oh I was there to I like the concept and I feel like this is the first time I kind of do a casual food. I always done fine dining. And I want to learn about this business because in the future, I feel like this is the price point I want to open a casual restaurant. So that's the reason that I want to work in Chino Poblano.
3: But ultimately, what was it about working there and seeing what we'll call ethnic food in America elevated to a different level?
5: I think it's the freedom.
3: Yeah. Um, A lot of freedom in that. A lot
5: of freedom. Also, Jose is crazy in a sense, Mm -hmm. right? So... Even though I tell him I was like my Chinese food is home cooking, my Chinese food is what I know. I, I'm very deep in the culture. I know the culture so much. So but that's why I know there's so much more to learn. Are you sure you want me to run your Chinese kitchen or Chinese Mexican kitchen where I don't know any of those two cuisines, I just like to eat them. Yeah. He's like, but you live and breathe them. You know sure. your culture. And he's like, my, I wasn't looking for a traditional Chinese food. You can use your creative and your Western type of thinking with Chinese flavor. Why don't you just do whatever you do? So that's what Chino Bolano came about. And I learned from that, I grew a lot of confidence. And I also learned from one of my sous chefs how to cook a professional wok, because he has 17 years of traditional Chinese cuisine in his belt. Uh, and, Other things like folding dimsums and folding dumplings, that's something that I always know what we do at home. So that kind of grew into what I cook uh, Chinese food. But truly, I found my style of cooking was on Top Chef. I know it sounds very cheesy.
3: Well, let's talk about that because I feel that being on Top Chef, being on those cooking shows, especially the ones that use professional chefs as contestants, Mm -hmm. is what gets people known in America and the world. I think it's really tough just to own a restaurant these days and not play that social media game. Yeah. But what was it about it? Was it about having to define yourself, to look inward, to sort of say, all right, here's 16 other chefs. What's my unique culinary edge?
5: So, is, so I began to top shot twice. So the first time I said I found my culinary voice is because before I just cook anything. People was like, I said, I cook cuisine with no borders. I couldn't cook anything. Italian, French, Spanish, Mexican, Chinese, you throw at me, I cook everything. Which
3: is sort of cooking nothing. Exactly. Yeah.
5: And But I also realized that when it comes to competition, why you don't have anything to, you don't have time to think. You just react on your, like, your, is your reaction. Oh, I cook is, this is, close to my heart. I use a lot of big Chinese flavors. And then sometimes I use Chinese technique. But a lot of times I use a Western technique to to sort of deliver what is suppo- the result that was supposed to be. And on the second time around on Top Chef, I realized my niche is cooking Chinese American food. This is what I want to be for my next step or next step of my career that I really want to push my culture. And I realize I'm finally comfortable in my skin that I can come out to say that, I'm very proud of who I am. I would like to cook Chinese food that's too true to myself and I'm proud of. So that's...
3: When you finally stumbled or came to that moment of being pr- like proud and prideful of the food that you make, What was that? Was there more freedom there and like what you felt that you could do because you were so excited to share these flavors with your customers?
5: Yes, 100%. Now I really feel like I don't have, I'm not, I'm at the place that I feel a lot more comfortable. Before I always, when people criticize my food, saying that, oh, this is not authentic, I always like to be defensive of it. I was like, no, but Northern China of Dalian, they've been using black squid ink to color their dough so they will make squid ink and fish dumpling for ages. So I'm not doing this because I cook Italian but I'm actually doing this for Chinese. I used to constantly defend myself, yes. but now I'm like, you know what? This is the way I cook Chinese food. Yeah. This is Chinese food in California. This is Chinese food in America. I'm 100% submerged in this culture. I'm not cooking any region of Chinese food from China. I'm cooking Chinese food for America.
3: Now, when people think of Chinese American food, They definitely think of styrofoam boxes. Orange chicken. Orange chicken, general sao, just, you know, also like fried and then even greasy greasy chicken wings even pop in there sometime. How do you define your Chinese American food? And do you ever run into where people come and eat your food and they go, no, no, no. I know Chinese American food. I've been growing up and eating that. This is not Chinese American food.
5: Well, I haven't... I haven't had people tell me this is not Chinese American food yet, but I definitely have people tell me that, oh, wow, I'm surprised this is Chinese American food. Normally, I'm not really, this is like a lot of Chinese Americans telling me this, yes. that they're not really into those kind of restaurants, but they love my restaurant. They've been coming more than multiple times in a week. Um, my approach is Chinese food, seasonal fresh ingredient, mm-hmm. just like when I cook Italian, just when I cook like when I cook French, but with Chinese authentic ingredient sauces from China, using local California American produce and proteins and everything else. So naturally, and at the same time that my kitchen in Miss Chi, we don't have a wok. Uh, we cook everything mm-hmm. on flat tops on a pancha. So, to, so you can still create that char with grilling, with cooking on pantries. All about heat control. Right. You don't have to have a wok. Right. A lot of times, when you eliminate wok, you eliminate a lot of oil. Yes. Because wok just, you know, just we sits. do just sits. We do oil blanching. You do deep fry. You do everything in the wok. So that's a little bit different approach for my kitchen. So naturally, our cooking is just a lot less greasy because the way we cook.
3: So let's talk about Miss Chi. When did the idea start coming around to open up a restaurant? And ha- it seems pretty much like the culmination of an entire life's experience from, you know, your grandparents to your coming to America to the fine dining, but then also being like, you know what, I really just want to have a, something that's a little bit casual, but you still have a really great meal.
5: Yeah, so, Miss Xi's crazy concept, we open breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everybody, and then we sell boba tea By the way, and coffee lot, program.
3: And not a lot of Chinese restaurants open for breakfast.
5: No, not at all. Um, but this is what I want to do. Like, I open Miss Xi is, a lifetime of what I want to eat. Right. So in Miss Chi I like I have boba tea, I have coffee. I love a lot I love caffeinated uh, beverages, which chef doesn't.
3: So, <laughs> I'm a real decaf type of chef. What? what?
5: <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then I love breakfast. Chinese Western all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Just, I love eggs. And so everything together, Miss Chi is something that is ultimate Chinese comfort food. at a slightly elevated level is everything that I want to eat. That's why I said that when I'm at home, I want to DoorDash or Postmate my own food because this is the food that I will actually crave at home.
3: So now the food that you only cooked at home that you would never share with anyone, that's what's in the restaurant.
5: Yes, it's 100% that. So we do – so we definitely we, – we, a cook at home is everything is very comfort and but we don't cheap out on the uh, on the ingredient we have farmers market in front of our door every Tuesday yes. so we get to pick up fresh produce from okay. in front of our doorstep and working with a lot of different farmers on proteins and then we I work with a hippie farmer in Oregon do our Pachamama pork for Beijing jiang min's pork ragu it's like we're so blessed and then I'm like and then I'm making all the dumplings that I used to make since when, when I was six years old like Beijing style of a dumpling, mm. but at the same time get to putting the crazy cheeseburger dumpling that I want a, a challenge of from Top Chef onto sure. the menu too, so, and I have salt and pepper tater tots, because I, I love salt and pepper pork pork chop and shrimp, so, but I didn't want it to do you know, this is our sort of neighborhood, I want to do something gluten free so I do salt and pepper tater tots and, you know, the silly little things like that is everything that I want to eat.
3: It's very interesting because it is American in the sense of that there's no rules manifest destiny follow your dream what makes you happy but the Chinese part is coming in like here's the heritage here are the ingredients here are the recipes that you grew up with and that you learned from your grandmother and mother and things like that yeah. um, you have a cookbook now too yes what made you want to distill the recipes and put it into a cookbook what did you think was lacking as far as Chinese food Recipes uh, and cookbooks for the chef at home.
5: I think just in general, when people think about Chinese cuisine, the non-Chinese people think about Chinese cuisine. Even the Chinese American that grew up in China, who uh, grew up in America, they think is extremely intimidating because the first thing like, you have to buy a wok, buy a bamboo steamer, buy this and the other. So people already stop wanting to cook because you have to buy all these things that you to cook one cuisine for one dish
3: once and I ruined it immediately and never used it again.
5: Exactly, right? So a lot of times, people just stop thinking about or wanting to learn about this cuisine because of all those restrictions. So I want to be the ambassador of Chinese cuisine in America to teach people how to cook Chinese food without all those limits. You can so just by teaching people how to heat control, but most importantly, just source the ingredient using the correct sauce to produce authentic flavors. And I really feel like a lot of cuisine ethnic cuisine having moments. Mm. There's Filipino cuisine. A mm. few years ago, there were Thai cuisine. Yeah, And then Chinese cuisine, Japanese cuisine has always been very popular, became the most popular Asian cuisine in America now. But, the truly the m- most popular ethnic cuisine that people don't even realize is still Chinese cuisine. Of but course. people don't think about it.
3: Well, it's ubiquitous. Exactly. It's because it's not, it's, it's like pizza.
5: Yeah, it's not.
3: People don't think about that it's like when people are, you know, like you know, they're like, oh, I don't like Mexicans, but I love burritos. It's like, what are you talking about? Exactly. So it's become American in many ways, but it's just like, no, it has deeper roots. It has it has its own place in the world cultural mm-hmm. side guys. Imagine if someone's grandmother in America came back and brought them like wontons and Chinese donuts and things like that.
5: Yeah, and also you think about a lot of the uh, a lot of Asian cuisines is all influenced by Chinese cuisine as mm-hmm. well. We talk about Mapo tofu, right? We talk this about is, ramen. Yeah, so all this you think about all ramen is. Japanese. No, ramen in Chinese name is actually translated from Chinese word la mian, which means pu noodle. So, you know, like a lot of that people really don't know. So I really hope that, um, that's why I come out with cookbook that's easy for everybody to use. I didn't come out with a coffee table cookbook that's for my ego, Um, but because I really want to push, you know what I mean? Like I really want to push this cuisine forward in America. This is a popular cuisine in America already, but now I just want people to truly love it to know it a little bit more to understand it a little bit more
3: so what's next you got the cookbook you got the cafe what's what's coming up this year
5: definitely expansion miss um, she I have a lot of different opportunities people uh, uh, approaching me which is I feel very thankful mm-hmm. we've only been opening for three months but there's multiple people already want me to open it everywhere um, so my next step is slow down a little bit to really look through all the offer yeah um, I want to grow this brand and um, but at the same time I, truthfully I want to push forward Chinese American Cuisine in America.
3: Well, we are very lucky to have you doing just that. Thank you. If people want to follow you, if people want more information, where can they go?
5: Um, so they can go on chefshirleychung.com. Uh, that's my personal website. Or oh, you can also follow me on social media. It spells CHF Shirley Chung.
3: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Can thank I wait to dip into me. some dumplings? Of course. Yes, oh please. my God. Yes. <laughs> I I mean, to me, I can eat dumplings at any time. I love dumplings for breakfast, so (laughs) it's perfect. Uh, We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org.
6: to take my time before I walk in blind because everybody's telling me to watch out even I can see there will be far because it fell in my mind up. But it's telling me to-
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Cotbalt Cave Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit com.
2: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dave Arnold, and I'm the host of Cooking Issues here on Heritage Radio Network. Every week, I answer listeners' questions on the latest innovative techniques, equipment, and ingredients in the food world. Have a question about hot rotting your oven to make great pizza? Give us a call. Hydrocolloid, sous vide, liquid nitrogen? No problem. You can find Cooking Issues wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
3: It's so good. That is 100% Greg the mine's total sweet spot for music. Um, Annie, welcome back to the Snacky Tunes. Hi it's so good to see you
7: it's so nice to see you and
3: uh, it's so funny because when uh, radical dads who are so awesome who are also about to drop a kid two kids two kids so many play dates yeah yeah what no
7: they're both mo- they're moving
3: oh they're moving
7: Robbie's moving to California and then Chris and Lindsay are moving to New Jersey so I'm just gonna cry
3: oh man I'm gonna stay
7: home and cry and
3: Heather's in San Francisco
7: Heather's in San Francisco what, what do I have left in my life
3: I don't know, just like a a handsome husband and two beautiful children (laughs) and your music.
7: Oh, yeah. And cooking. And
3: cooking. So so I guess nothing. (laughs) Um, Welcome back. It's so good to see you. I always love seeing you. But it was funny because I guess you were sitting down when I saw you and I didn't realize that you're like two weeks from dropping this kid. Yeah. Um, And then when I saw you, I was like, she is very pregnant. Yeah. But like in the most beautiful way possible. Oh, thank you. Um, So welcome. Thanks. So happy. Solo project.
7: Solo project. Which was
3: a surprise. It was just on my, I think, I want to say either Facebook feed or Instagram feed or something that uh, I was like, oh, she's doing a song. And I was like, it's a good song.
7: Oh, thank you.
3: Can't stop, won't stop.
7: Can't stop, won't stop. It's like Heather's gone. I, you can't have a trio and downgrade to a duo without betraying the essence of the trio. So you kind of just have to go it alone.
3: You could start a new group called Heather Heather. Heather Moved Away.
7: <laughs> Heather Moved Away, and I hate it.
3: First song is whatever. <laughs> Um, so what? So what's uh, what made you want to do the solo project?
7: Well, it's kind of like I I started playing music because I just have always been hypnotized by music. I've always been obsessed with just mm-hmm. playing playing by myself, and I never thought anybody in the whole world would ever want to hear it. And then I've been encouraged over the years to either join bands or were, was literally forced to join my first band. And then, you know i came to this place where why am i going to be alone playing synthesizers there's more to honor the synthesizers that i've been spending so much money on than anything else i fe- I feel like if you have these ideas you should share them yeah
3: it's like honoring your sushi knife
7: oh yeah oh so i told you about my sushi knife i went to kyoto we were on tour ovo simone was on tour i did not know that okay, okay go on and we're in japan And I found, so there's this, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Aritsugu or something. There's like a very famous sushi knife place in Kyoto. But then apparently, that's just like the tourist trap one. But there's this dude who's like 90 years old. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a taxi really far out of town. He is right across from this temple. So I guess a lot of people go there. But he doesn't speak English. And you have to like, he makes these knives. He forges these knives in his backyard and sells them <laughs> to anybody who wants a knife and you got one I got one and it was great because I I'm mostly vegetarian so I mostly cut up vegetables and we were drawing pictures and miming he taught me how to sharpen the knife you know I don't know it was great and ever since then I've been obsessed with this knife Sliced. it's so sharp
3: so sharp those cucumbers so thin so thin so thin. Do you want to play a song for us?
7: Yeah. What
3: do you want to play for us first?
7: Um, I guess I'll play breathing underwater. Breathing underwater, even though you already played it at the intro. Yeah, but that was
3: a recorded one. Put a little. Put a little live.
7: This is different keyboards.
3: Okay. Um, are you all set up with the microphone and everything? I do you have to, so. do I have to do anything? Let me see.
7: Let me just check. Me just check.
3: Oh, you're good. Microphone.
7: Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 You like my? Oh,
3: uh, Liz microphone? is saying no. Oh, Taskmaster Uh-oh. Liz. All right,
7: I'm back. Oh my I can goodness. Handle this. Yeah. Whipped it.
3: So, how is the writing process now? with just you without the the trio? I mean, are you like you're like I'm gonna put this this sound here?
7: Well, I gotta say it's it's really hard because I've been so reliant on Heather and Erica to. Kind of, <laughs> you were so sweet.
3: <laughs> we're just playing musical chairs. There we go.
7: Kind of literally. Um, <laughs> oh, I so like that. <laughs> it, it's it's funny because when, when I work with Heather and Erica, I um, I have them to rely on about like what sounds good and what doesn't sound good, mm-hmm. and we're all so brutally honest with each other that. It makes it really easy to trust them and to trust yourself. But it's kind of like, oh, this sounds great. Oh, that sounds great. But I did notice that most of my songs have become incredibly simple.
3: Really? Oh, because you're just focusing on just getting it out?
7: Or just like, this sound sound sounds good.
3: Right. And then you're
8: done. You move on. You don't have that feedback that people be like, actually, it sounds good, but maybe. Yeah.
7: Plus, there's not six hands. There's only like... I have two hands and yes, I'll have like 10 tracks of keyboards, but you know, it's easy. It's
3: easy. This track sounds done. Let's go.
7: But then, learning to learning to record is really difficult.
3: Oh, when you're by yourself,
7: yeah. And also, dinner time is a problem because my I have my studio in my basement,
3: yeah. And then the kitchen is
7: right upstairs, and so you're just like, oh, I don't really feel like comping. You would be really great using my new Japanese chef knife.
3: Oh yeah, (laughs) man. That I mean, it's the same creative process, right? Uh, no, no, (laughs) not at all. What cooking and uh, making Music? music? Totally different things.
7: Well, I mean, I guess they both require creativity and ingredients. Okay, I'm starting to see the analogy. I don't
8: really see it. I think it was bad, and he's trying to save it. Oh, man. Let's leave the the cooking to the chefs.
3: Man, we have been trying to just draw this analogy between food and music for like seven or eight years. Okay, so you got your
7: ingredients. Okay. And if you don't have quality ingredients, it's not going to work out.
3: Right, and if you don't have quality synthesizers, you're not going to make a hot track.
7: Yeah, but some of the best
8: music I've ever heard has been made on like really bad equipment. Oh, that's true.
7: Yeah, but but j- what what constitutes bad?
8: I mean, just like you know, like instruments that people bought at like Walmart or got as gifts, but yet they just did a really great job. Yeah, I'm really just trying to to to, to lay into. Dan's yeah, he's, idea he's got gear. it. He's, he's got it. It's cool. I'm not I assume... buying it. I'm no, not totally buying. Not it. I've, n- had, I've had a lot of like amazing meals cooked on like things that I wouldn't want to eat.
7: George Foreman grills.
8: I I've had a lot of not a lot, but I've had a few. Yeah. <laughs>
7: Yeah, I think
3: uh Thomas Keller uses them at uh Per Se, right? Wouldn't know. Really? <laughs> Wouldn't
8: know. I'm just
3: kidding. But, uh, I'm just kidding. But,
8: but but Timmy down the hall in college really oh, yeah. used it, and he was great.
3: Timmy Keller, uh never mind. Um so the the writing process is a little different. Do you enjoy do you do you enjoy the solo process and just like figuring like seeing where your brain takes you uh with not being edited?
7: I mean, it's it's cool because I think this the schedule really suits my life. It's like, okay, I have 45 minutes at night now that I have a kid to like get stuff done. So it makes it makes rehearsing and writing a lot more free because I feel like I have this I can just do it without having to run it by anybody so I can do it on my own time whereas before we would have to schedule something where we would all be around. And we mostly did our writing collabor- collaboratively, so you know, that takes a while. This yeah. is just more simple, but I do miss them.
3: Oh, they're amazing women. I know. Yeah, it's weird. It's okay, but I'm getting it, used to it. Yeah, you, maybe you can like a, start like a family band, like the Trackenbergs. Trachtenberg,
7: do you feel like that's child? Tra- I mean, no, I don't know about the Trackenbergs, I don't know them personally, but do you feel like that that whole concept is kind of like child exploitation? Like, I try not to have Henry on any of my public music, public persona things.
3: I heard Henry actually didn't want to be on your tracks that's what I read that's what I read in the trade <laughs> but uh
7: I feel like it might be like taking advantage you
3: don't want to do like a blue every track with Henry with the new the new one
7: no not really but you know what Henry is really good for he he is just as brutally honest as Heather and Erica really yeah like breathing underwater he loved he wanted to hear it all the time I was oh I played I list, I looked at my iTunes I had the demo played like 87 times oh, from wow, playing it in the car number, for him number one
3: yeah. with a bullet right
7: <laughs> no
3: um, but were there other tracks where he's like, "Mom, no."
7: Yeah, he'll uh, if I play one that's like kind of a downer, he's like, mm, "That's too boring."
3: Ooh, way harsh.
7: I know it's I great mean, kids though. Are, they're oh, yeah. honest
8: though. It's kind of like nice to hear it. It's refreshing.
7: Yeah, I'm uh, really into it.
3: All right, can we hear a track that he likes? Yeah. Okay, what is it?
7: This one doesn't have a name yet.
3: Can, can we call it Henry's song?
7: It's about my uh, this guy I was sleeping with in high school.
3: Let's not. Ooh. Let's definitely not call. <laughs> definitely not call it Henry's song. Um. Okay. Well, this this one goes to. Uh, do you want to say his name? No.
7: No. Well, I, he was cheating on his girlfriend. You were he was, he was like, if you sleep with me, I'm gonna totally break up with her and go out with you. And then I did. And then he didn't. But we still kept on sleeping together.
3: Still friends. No. Godfather. Uh. <laughs> Henry's Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh. Here we go. Annie Hart. Again live here on Snaggy Tunes. Awesome. Very nice. Oh, thanks. thanks. Oh, yeah. So, what's the plan? EP? LP? Double A? I don't a? know.
7: What are you supposed to do?
3: I don't... I'm, I don't... I've I put out two EPs in my entire life, and they both... No one ever listened to them, so...
7: Yeah. I, so, are you supposed to, like, hire a publicist and print it and everything?
3: Uh, you, you're the one with a successful music career. That's
7: true. Okay. I guess I do know what you You know do.
3: what you did. It, the, you got flown all over the world to play your music.
7: Yeah. So you know and paid. Uh, and not paid. just the flight. And free food! Oh my god! Oh my god, guys! You have what to go on doing? tour. Oh, oh you go yeah, in on geez. tour. We saw you on tour. Yeah, saw you several on t- times.
3: Yeah, and then you can also make salads in the bathroom in the dark.
7: Oh yeah, you remember that story? That is story. Oh,
3: so good. You can listen. That's, that's uh, from the last episode with um, salad for president. Oh yeah, that was.
7: I still do that, and you know, I started taking photos of my hotel salads. It's on my Instagram, Annie Hart for sure. You can see some of my hotel. Annie, salads. Annie for
3: sure. It's it's a good it's a good gram the gram game's good
7: I was pretty wasted when I came up with it so thanks
3: Uh, whatever works yeah (laughs) whatever's clever as (laughs) I say Um, I don't know you put an EP out I mean you're about to have another kid so touring is gonna be
7: yeah but also I haven't played any concerts yet by myself and I think it's kind of I want to have like kind of an art element to it because I'm so used to having Heather and Erica with me where I'm like oh nobody's watching me so I can just be happy and be relaxed oh come
3: on (laughs) No one's watching you,
7: but you can like get into that mindset. Everyone's
3: uh, watching. I'm watching you. Like <laughs> oh. <laughs> not in that way. I'm like oh, I'm so proud of her. She's doing so well. Yeah. I was thinking.
7: Well, oh, I'm. I missed my cue for the song. What
3: There's song? a police
7: song about that. Oh, but anyway.
3: Yeah. Or yeah. There's a lot of songs about watching people,
7: <laughs> like
3: private eyes. <laughs> yeah hung out with my ride that morning just is like Hall & Oats it was pretty nice.
7: Okay so I have this thing with Hall & Oats where until I was maybe 21 I thought their name was Halling Oats. Oh
3: my god.
7: Right? And then I found and then I like bought my first Hall & Oats thing and I was like oh it's Hall and Oats. And oh. then you know I just discovered my friend sent me this link she remembers the story cuz she thought I was so stupid. And then she sends me this thing. there's a Hall & Oats granola company that's getting sued as of last month by Hall & Oats.
3: That's so good.
7: Somebody else had that idea. It's not just me.
3: There's a thing called call notes, which is a <laughs> a call number where you can call and they like press one, private eyes, press two, like witch girl, yeah.
7: That's just, like the They might be giant style the song.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> St- stuff when yeah, it's like oh, they got a touchdown phone. What can we do?
7: Yeah, I wish I had a.
3: Now if only call I, call now if only I had songs on demand. I wish that technology still existed
7: what do you, did you listen to some, wait a second what I'm, I'm making jokes <laughs> I was like what the
3: jokes are so bad you don't you're even on know. fire today yeah on fire
7: but maybe that's what I should do with the music
3: yeah that'd be a fun art project yeah call this
8: number to listen to, to the track yeah
7: yeah and then I could just put up demos yeah and then it's not as permanent as like SoundCloud or whatever I don't know Spotify
3: or, true or you can just have Henry uh, light them up to the top <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah um so you're going to keep recording demos yeah you're going to put out the second child yeah uh that's awesome thanks and then maybe tour ep something like that
7: yeah i think i'm going to play some shows in new york i mean i have a bunch of friends who own really cool venues so i i'm going to have my friend kind of do some kind of overhead art projection cool. while i play and i'm going to bring all my good my best synthesizers which i've been told by synthesizer lovers that you I'm forbidden from bringing out of the house. Oh, really? Yeah, these synths I'm playing today are great synths. And talk about garbage. One of them is kind of a student-slash-child model. Um, <laughs> My very first synth. <laughs> um, but I got some other really fancy synths that I think deserve to be showcased.
3: Are you not supposed to take them out of the house?
7: No, I mean, they're so delicate. They're the kind H- of thing that are security. made for studios. Like, <sighs> I bet Genesis wouldn't even tour with them. Uh-oh. oh <laughs> Are those fighting words?
3: I don't know. Phil Collins. I mean, Phil. Look, Phil's going to do what Phil's going to do. You <laughs> know, I know what
7: I mean? since at home.
3: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, where can people go to SoundCloud?
7: Oh, yeah. It's SoundCloud slash Annie hyphen heart. There's other Annie hearts out there that are not me.
3: Imitations not to be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How do we know it's you?
7: How do you know it's me? Uh, there's a picture of me with sunglasses. Okay. Cool mom.
3: Super cool mom.
7: Super cool mom.
3: Man, that wedding having you a, in the backyard. Yeah,
8: there's a crazy, awesome wedding going on. No, that was
7: back. my applause button for super cool mom. Uh,
8: yeah. Well, <laughs> no, they were they they're with you. They like totally agree. It's all family all the time. They did a uh, right
3: um, acapella version of "Don't Stop Believing," which. Uh, yeah. All
8: right, let's wrap. They also yeah. sing,
7: didn't they also sing um Gloria in Excelsis Deo when I walked in they were singing uh, like Christmas carols.
8: Maybe. <laughs> they were doing they were doing the, all the Jewish wedding songs hey man, out there. It's your wedding is <laughs> whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Inter- It'll be yours religion. next March 27th. Uh, I'm going to just plan it around just uh Do I get to go to your wedding? Ooh.
3: Dude, you're going to come
8: to the bachelor party. The, I actually that's true I was, I was speaking to somebody I actually met I, was, I have a friend who the other day was he got to go to a bachelor party but he wasn't invited to that guy's wedding that
3: doesn't make any sense it made he, no sense he, to he, mu- he must have really fucked up during the bachelor party yeah no no I don't, I don't think it was ever part of the plan I just thought that was really strange essentially what I've learned that if you invite anyone to the pre-wedding events uh, yeah you have to invite them to come to the, big party, deal, they to the come main the big, event yeah to the main event yes Ah, I want to know what that was. What I'll tell that- you a little bit more about it offline. Oh, okay. Wow. Um No, you'll be coming. And there's a engagement uh, party. We're going to go to Montreal. It'll be fun. I uh,
8: I can't imagine what going to Montreal with you might be like.
3: Yes, you can cuz we did it and it was delicious deliciously decadent if you yeah, will. It was crazy. Poutine was,
5: forever.
8: I, it was the the craziest blizzard I've ever
3: experienced. We we got we drove into Montreal the day after the largest snow Single snowfall and for Montreal. That's a lot.
7: Wait, so it happened the day after. No, and you the day we went? drove in yeah. the
3: day before. Oh, the day yeah. before, and we were driving around, and we eventually just had to shovel out a parking spot. We we we, we were like driving. We got in like one at night, and we went and got like uh, God, so much shoveling. Doesn't hot that weekend. Doesn't hot uh, yeah. Saint Viateur bagels, and then yeah, yeah. We were living. We, the place we had was uh, equidistant from uh, Fairmont Saint Viateur.
7: Oh my God, I used to live like right around in that area very
3: lucky very lucky
7: yeah i know and we would just every day try out each different bagel and decide which one is our favorite but let's I can't see today remember. i'll have a
3: sesame and then tomorrow i'll have a sesame and then the day that i will have a sesame <laughs> uh,
7: and they're so small it's like you can just eat as many as you want oh yeah they don't oh. even count as bagels
3: no not like these behemoth new york ones no uh
8: we don't have enough time to talk about new york bagels we can do a whole montreal edition of this show one oh. day
3: yeah
7: you know what i'm looking God. for in new york hot pretzels when are we going to start uh. the Gourmet Hot Pretzel Brigade?
3: Um, I don't know. I think people still are bummed on carbs. Right? No. No? I don't know. I think people there's a carb
7: carbs. backlash.
3: I don't know. A hot, pretzel, a hot pretzel and mustard bar would be phenomenal. It's true. Doing sandwiches. They used to you ever go to Philly and they have like sort of like a figure eight pretzels and you cut those in half and you make that that's your bread for a sandwich?
0: No. Did I just
3: explode your mind?
7: you know everybody's always like oh philly's the next williamsburg and now not true
3: not true right well obviously it's not true but now
7: but don't you aren't you like intrigued a little by philly
3: i grew up in philly i love love it
8: philly's wonderful
3: it's no sixth borough
8: well we know (laughs) uh, the the new york times keeps telling me all day every day that the sixth borough is los angeles yeah Oh, yes. So a, there was another article today about New Yorkers packing up and going I saw to Los, that, Los Angeles. But Who you know does what?
3: that? Who packs up and moves All to LA? All
8: my
7: friends, because i I don't know. Like, maybe
8: maybe you, jerk.
7: <laughs> Whatever.
8: Have fun. <laughs> Take your beard out there. Take yeah. your
7: beard out there. Go say hi to everybody. I'm always like, oh, I haven't seen you in a couple months. Let's hang out. Oh, I'm in LA. If,
3: I sh- if you, you have uh, full permission to punch me in the face of Travis and I by matching fedoras. I'm not going to punch you in the face. Fedoras, <gasps> I'm
8: just, I'm in the face. Whatever. <laughs> You know, it's just, just have fun.
3: Just have fun. Have fun in that fedora. Maybe I'll we'll get a bucket hat. I don't know. So many options.
8: You're definitely getting cargo pants.
7: <laughs> Wear oh. a KFC bucket.
3: Yeah, definitely getting some cargo, cargo pants shorts. Some Tevas. Oh, yeah. You so, Guess what? My toes are going to get so tan out there. <laughs> Man, such a jerk. <laughs> um, all right, well, we have time for one more song. Oh, really? Do you not want to play one more song?
7: I mean, I could.
3: Well, you're not It's vitin. kind
7: of a downer song. That's fine. Is that okay? Yeah.
3: We'll just tell Henry not to listen. <laughs> um, I want to thank you. Thank you to Brutal Mag, Joe and Nick, Feeding the Fire. And on May 12th, we return for our eighth season of the Barbecue Blowout. We have the wonderful boys of Greenpoint Fish and Lobster Co. Shout out, Adam and Vinny. <laughs> Shout out to those two guys doing grilled fish tacos with Gustavo Salsa. And Gustavo is going to be on Snacky Tunes next week. And we have the wonderful men of Turing Machine, uh, Justin and Scott, throw into the decks down. It's, a it's, really, it's the
8: kickoff to summer
3: it's the kickoff to summer May, May 12th ticket sales are actually really awesome so actually, you they should be you can I'll go to, totally Heritage, to Radio, Heritage Radio Network dot org and look for the barbecue blowout poster um, or if you go to BBQ Blowout May 2015 dot eventbrite.com no <laughs> gonna
8: remember that
3: <laughs> just go to Heritage dot org and you can see the poster Liz is, Liz is thumbs up to that shaking her head at, at the other stuff Um She's
8: really just like the, the oh trash, man. today.
3: she's just she was like wait if i just speak to them with a voice of authority they're gonna do whatever i say we're like yes liz i'm sorry liz i'm sorry i'm so sorry what oh my god psyching me out uh, well annie thank you so much carter thank you as always pleasure shout out to the fam shout out to anna uh we'll see you next week and uh enjoy the summer here we go
9: I'm at the paper.